as we look together now at Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. The word of the Lord says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart. From before the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know we stand up and sit down a lot during our worship service, but let me assure you, it was very helpful in the eight o'clock service to keep all of us awake and going that early in the morning as we tried to focus on the word of the Lord. Hopefully it's helped you in a similar way today here at 1045. When we look at this passage we see a lot is happening that actually the people are finally leaving. But before we really focus on that, I want, to, I want to jump down to verse 19. It says in verse 19 that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear a promise. So back in Genesis chapter 50, right there in the middle of the 20s of those verses, Joseph speaks as he's on his deathbed and he looks at his brothers and he goes, Hey guys, I'm about to die. That's literally what it says. Hey, I'm about to die. But before I die, I want you to remember that one day the Lord is going to lead you out of this land of Egypt. And when he does, I want you to promise me that you will take my body, my bones, my remains with you and go back to the land that God promised to Abraham and put my bones there with the rest of our forefathers. And so the brothers promise. And after 430 Years, the promise was remembered. Think about how significant it was for them to keep this promise. The fact that they did not have time to put leaven or yeast in their dough, but they had time to grab Joseph's bones and make sure to carry Joseph with them out of the land of Egypt. You know, several weeks back, we looked specifically at how God told Abraham that everything that the Israelites have been through in Egypt would happen. And we talked about how God is a promise keeper. And he kept his promise to Abraham that the people would come out of Egypt eventually. Joseph is in the same vein. Joseph is along the same line, knowing and believing that one day that God will bring them out. He knows it so vehemently that he makes sure his brothers promise to take his bones with them when they leave. And folks, I I don't know about you guys, but 430 years just sticks out in my mind so powerfully. I mean, it's it's almost double our existence as a nation. The United States of America has not even been around as long, maybe even half as long as all of the time accumulated that 
Israel was in Egypt as slaves. We have a hard enough time passing one thing from one generation down to the next. But this promise of taking Joseph's bones was kept for 400 years. Because Joseph did not want to be left in the land of Egypt. And even in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, Pharaoh said, get out, we got to leave, we got to go right now. It's so significant that God fulfills that promise that they make sure to go grab Joseph's bones. Because it's important that God fulfills His promises. Don't miss that already, on two different occasions in this sermon series, God has been the promise keeper. He has been the one who has fulfilled the prophecies. The ones that He said, the ones that His children and His servants said, even if it took 430 years, God delivered on His promise. Don't miss that Jesus is the deliverance on God's promise of a Messiah. Over 600 different prophecies were spoken about the Messiah, about this Christ, this one who would come to deliver us. And we know that God was faithful to all of those prophecies. And you can know that God is faithful to those prophecies because already the pattern has been established in Genesis and Exodus. That God will make a promise and then God will keep that promise. And so folks, I don't want you to miss that Jesus is the one who fulfilled all the promises of God in a Messiah. That Jesus is the one who fulfilled every letter of the law because God makes it a very significant point to always deliver on His promises. Even when you're in a rush and even when you're hurrying out of Egypt, He remembers the promise that was made through Joseph, through the brothers, so that the bones would be brought up. So that the people of Israel might look back and even in the most insignificant details, they would remember that God delivers on His promises. So I don't want us to miss that this morning. Remember that God delivers on His promises. But I also want us to note how God leads His people. God leads His people down a very difficult path. Look back at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So imagine the simplest and easiest, most straightforward path to get out of Egypt is to go through the land of Philistia. But that means you're going to have to fight the Philistines because the Philistines already don't like you. So you're 1.2, 1.5 million people strong, and you are about to go through the land of Philistia because the road is wide, the road is easy, it's the most simple, straightforward path. But God says, eh, don't go that way. Why don't y'all go this way? Notice where the this way is. In verse 18, God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Hang on, wait a minute. So God, the the road over there is real nice and paved. It's real easy. I mean, it goes through Philistia, but you know, you just did all these plagues and things. So I mean, like, I'm sure you can handle the Philistines if they want to fight us. Why we got to go like all the way around and, and through the wilderness. You know what I mean? It's the wilderness, God. I mean, that's, there's no trail there. We've got babies. We've got all of our luggage. We've got carts that we're trying to take. And and now we're going to have to take our machetes and like cut a path through the wilderness, and it seems to be a long way around, Lord. You seem to be trying to get me to go from here to there, but you want me to go down that aisle and around and up and back and over and then come over here. Um, I, I just, I, <laughs> why? What's, what's the deal? Have you, ever, have you ever been in that spot? 
Have you ever been in that place where you see an easy path, but God sees a very different path and he leads you down that very different road? I I remember when I was about 15 years old, I was working my tail off to try and save up money for a truck because I just wanted a truck when I turned 16. Didn't have to be a nice truck, just I wanted a truck. I was trying to save up to have enough money to buy a Toyota Tacoma. And my dad had made a promise to me. He said, son, whatever you've raised, I'll match. Well, he really loved to tease me along the way. And so he got in this habit of every time we'd go somewhere, he'd like stop at every dealership that we passed. And he'd be like, well, what do you you think about this truck? I don't know. What do you think about that truck? And we'd get to talking about all these different trucks. But we left a restaurant one day and he starts getting on the interstate headed towards Tuscaloosa. Now, if you live in Birmingham and you went to a restaurant, if you're going towards Tuscaloosa, you're going about an hour the wrong way. So, I I mean, I kind of let it slide because he's my dad. But after that first exit that we passed, I went, hey, dad, you know, we're we're going like southbound, right? We're not we're not going northwest. We're going we're we're not going northeast. We're going southwest. You, You got that right. And he went, oh, is that what this road is? Yeah, yeah, the big, the big S and W on the 5920, it's, it's going towards Tuscaloosa. You, you realize we're going the wrong way. He went, golly, well, I guess we'll have to get off and turn around. Okay, well, there's an, right, you missed that one. Um, but there's an exit coming up, Dad. You know, we got other things to do this afternoon. Don't worry about it. Just turn around and, and we'll head back home. Golly, Nathan, I just keep missing these exits. Hey, seriously, are you having a stroke or something? Because I'm beginning to worry about you. Are are we like leaving the family and I don't know it? Like, should I have packed a bag? Because we've been riding for a half hour now and we're nowhere closer to home. We were just trying to go home. Mom's probably already at home waiting on us. You think she is? Maybe she had somewhere she had to go. Just kept messing with me the whole time. Well, we ended up going to a place in Tuscaloosa that was very important in us ending up with a Toyota Tacoma. And so it was it was very good that my dad took me a very long way back home. But all along the way, I doubted every step. I mean, I really did think 30, 45 minutes into the trip, my dad is having like a mental breakdown, like something, because he wouldn't give me any answers. I had no idea. But he had a purpose, and he had a reason. And it's fun these days because I'm really directionally challenged. Like if I'm telling you you're going the wrong way, then you are really lost. Because if I know where you're going and you don't, you have no hope, okay? GPS is all that saves me. I could have driven to your house seven times and I probably don't remember how to get there. So it is a common thing in our vehicle for my seven-year-old son who has more directional ability than I do to say, hey, Dad, you got to turn up here and know where we're going. And so sometimes just to mess with him, I'll go the long way around and I won't turn where he wants me to turn and I'll come to the church or go wherever we're going a different route just to prove every now and again dad knows where he's going all right I can get I can get a place or two the same thing is going on with the Israelites leaving Egypt I'm sure that they had these conversations with Moses hey Moses I know that that big pillar of cloud and fire is is going that way but you know the the road is just right there it's right nearby But God intentionally leads them through the wilderness. And and look with me at what it says, why God led them that way. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Folks, this this is a powerful, powerful verse. Do we understand that God knows our breaking point? Do you understand this morning that God knows how much is 
too much. He knows exactly at what point you would walk away from the faith. He knows exactly at what point you would give up hope. And I know that people like to say, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. I vehemently hate that statement because God is always going to give us more than we can handle to prove to us that he can handle it through us. But there is a limit. There is a breaking point and God knows that breaking point for each person. I had a coach in football in seventh grade. Seventh and eighth grade football, my coach was Dow Davis. And Dow Davis must have been in love with the Navy SEALs. And if there is anything that you don't want as a football player, it's a coach who's in love with the Navy dadgum SEALs, okay? That means that every practice is SEAL training. And this coach was infuriating because as we're doing our sprints, You're about to pass out and you you come back. You see this little blur run past you and run past you again and run past you again. And he's touching the line and he's going back and he's touching the line and he's going back and he's touching the line because he's running circles around us. Literally, he is that incredibly fit that we're running our tails off and he's running circles around us. And all the while he chants. Your body can do ten times more than your mind thinks it can. Your body can do ten times more than your mind thinks it can. That got drilled into my head for two straight years of run after run after run after run. And you know where he got it from? He got it from those Navy SEALs because those Navy SEALs tell all the trainees, your body can do ten times more than your body. Your body can do more than your mind thinks it can. Hang in there. Be mentally tough. You know, the same thing, though, is true spiritually. You know, I I think that all that I can take is right here. I think this is where I can go and I can go no further. But God knows that actually, if I'm tough, if I stick with him, I can do ten times more than what I think I can. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, I can be disciplined enough to be here by Christ working in and through me. When I thought I was going to fall flat right there. I thought there's no way I can take one more step. God knows my limits out there. It's not right here. God knows that spiritually, God knows that with everything going on in our lives, when we think this is it, God, there's nothing else that I can handle. If one more bad thing happens, I'm done. I'm done with the faith. I'm done with you. I'm done with life. I'm done. I can't handle another ounce. God knows. Yeah, you just think that, but you could probably handle another hundred pounds. We don't realize it. But it's true. As much as I hated my coach, he was running circles around us. And I always did more than what I thought I could do. I always went another 50 yards when I thought I was dead and done. I thought my heart was going to explode. And so did everybody on our team. But God knows where the breaking point is. And He knows that for Israel, after all that they've been through, 400 And 30 years of hard, ugly slavery. He knows now's not the time for war. Listen, we're going to run into even in chapter 17 where God defeats the Amalekites through Israel. It's not like they don't ever have a war. It's that at this moment, going to war is going to be that one step too far where it's pushing Israel beyond what they're ready to handle. Because God is a loving father. 
And he's the best coach there ever was. He actually knows our limits better than we do. And so God said, oh, we're going to take the long way around. Because I think between a camping trip and a war, I'm going to, I'm going to pick the camping trip. Between going through the wilderness and walking a little bit farther, we're going to go with that as opposed to facing the Philistines right now. God led them. And it's not like there was any mixture of error. It's not like where when you and I sometimes struggle with what's God leading me to do. No, no, no. There's literally a pillar of cloud and literally a pillar of fire so that they never stop moving. Did you catch that they travel by day and by night? The reason for the pillar of cloud and the reason for the pillar of fire is so that movement took place 24-7. They probably slept in cycles. It takes a long time for a million and a half people to mobilize and go in any direction. But the Lord leads them through the wilderness, through the narrow path where they had to blaze their own trail. But look at the end of verse 18. Even as they go down their camping trip, even as the Lord leads them away, knowing what their breaking point is. Look at verse 18. He led them around by the way of the wilderness. He led them toward the Red Sea. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. The battle's over there with the Philistines, but we're not going that way, but we're ready. We're equipped for the battle. We don't know when the battle's coming. We don't know who we're going to be fighting, but we know we're leaving Egypt and people are not going to like us. Pharaoh might run after us, so we got to be equipped for battle. We may run across some other nation that we didn't know was there, that we didn't know that we would encounter hostility. So we've got to be equipped for the battle. We don't know what's coming. God knows what's coming, but we're going to be equipped and ready for whatever comes our way. Even though God led them away from the battle, they were equipped for the battle. They were ready for war. And and look, don't write this off. Don't in your minds right now go and turn it off and say, oh, I know where he's going. We're about to talk about the armor of God. And we've got this old cliche about the armor of God and how important it is. Don't do that. We're going there, but don't do that. Don't let something be so stale to us. Don't let the fact that nobody wears suits of armor these days stop you from realizing the importance of the armor of God and being ready for the battle. Look, I dare say that the last time you saw somebody walking around in a suit of armor, you may have called the police to, to report them as a psychopath because who just walks around in broad daylight in a suit of armor? I mean, maybe those people that are the statues, you know, in like the big crowded cities where they're like, and then they never move. But those people are weird anyway, right? Like, who do we see wearing armor? This, this analogy seems so far from us and so far removed, but don't let it be. Think of it as being ready for war. Think of it as Kevlar if you need to think of it as Kevlar. Think of it however you need to piece it together in your mind to realize this is how we get ready for war. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. Folks, this passage, if nothing else, proves to us that there is a war going on around us. And there's, there's a spectrum of, of acknowledgement of this war, right? You have those who like to pretend that it's not there altogether. Oh, man, that's just people are being overly religious. You just you're reading too much into the text. It's, it, look, it's not like all that. There's those people on one end of the spectrum. You got people on the other end of the spectrum that are like actively looking to pick a fight with the devil. You know, what I'm talking about these people that are actively looking like I'm going to find the devil and I'm going to slay him myself today. And they get up in the morning looking for the devil. Have any of you ever watched the movie Braveheart? All right, look, I know historically it's, it's very inaccurate, okay? But I used to love to watch it because I would love to try and imitate the accent. Now, the accent is an imitation of an imitation, so it's not a good impression. But I will tell you this, it was always fun to watch William Wallace supposedly doing his thing up there in Braveheart. There was a battle, the Battle of Sterling, that the, the movie presents, and they've all lined up for battle, and then all the nobles ride out to the middle... And they're going to talk about peace talks and they're going to come to terms. And so William Wallace gives his incredible speech, right? Yeah, everybody's motivated. Ah, let's go to war. Ah. Well, then William Wallace is talking to his close friends and he goes to ride off after all the nobles. And they say, what are you doing? And he says, going to pick a fate. And then he rides up down there and he just completely just makes fun of all the English people until finally they are convinced that we're going to fight. And he rides back and all the, all the lords and land of the land were, were offered titles and, and offered this inheritance and offered all this great stuff. But William Wallace isn't hearing any of it, right? He's like, look, y'all have oppressed the Scottish people for far too long and it is time for a fight. So then when he gets back, his friend looks at him and goes, well, at least we didn't get dressed up for nothing. I love it. It's just the best part of the whole movie. Okay, I don't know if you've watched it, but you should, you should probably watch that movie on TV where it's edited because apparently it's not a very good movie. Uh, I've, I've only watched it on TBS. The one time I tried to not watch it on TBS, I couldn't finish the movie because it's not a good movie. So just remember that. But I will tell you this much. William Wallace goes out there to pick a fight. That's this end of the spectrum. But see, that's not what we're seeing this morning. This morning in the text, we're not seeing somebody who says, no, there's no fight, there's no battle, there's no war. We're also not seeing somebody who runs out there and is determined every morning to punch the devil in the mouth and win the war on their own. What does it say over and over again in Ephesians chapter 6? To stand against the schemes of the devil. To withstand. To stand firm. To stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness. 
Be ready. Stand firm. What does, what does it say when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt? They were equipped for battle. Look, we don't know what the devil's going to throw at us each morning. You have no idea what the war is going to look like that day. But every day we have to be ready for battle. We have to have the readiness on our feet. We've got to have all the armor on so that we are ready to stand and to stand firm. Over and over again, Paul says to stand firm. Don't gain ground. Don't give ground. Stand your ground. And if we don't equip ourselves for the battle, we will not stand firm. And it may seem strange to you that all these different pieces of armor, a helmet of salvation, a a breastplate of righteousness, a a belt or a girdle of truth and and gospel on my feet. I, I, I don't understand what all of that means. But tie it back to the fruit of the Spirit. It, it means living in the righteousness of Christ covering us. Because Jesus is our righteousness. His righteousness covers us the way that a breastplate would cover a soldier's chest. That everywhere we go, we're carrying in our shoes the gospel so that every step that we take is filled with the gospel message, the readiness to share the gospel. At the center of our being, we are strapped and held together by the truth of God's Word. Founded knowing the truth. Not your truth versus my truth. Not His truth or her truth. The truth. The truth that there is one living God. And there is one way to be at peace with that living God through Jesus Christ. His righteousness about my chest. The truth of that around my waist holding me together. The gospel on my feet to go with me every step that I take. Putting on my head, covering in my mind so that there are no doubts to overtake me. Reminding myself, putting it in my head over and over and over again. Jesus died to save me from my sins. I have salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus died to save me from my sins. I have salvation through Jesus Christ. Putting it in our minds like a helmet covering our heads so that anything that comes at our head is covered by the knowledge that we are saved. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and reminding ourselves of that all day, every day, because we don't live to the flesh anymore. We live by the spirit. And when the fiery darts come our way, we take up our shield, our faith. We're walking in this faith and we're believing that even when things seem to go haywire, God's leading us in a correct direction. God's protecting us or moving us away from something that he knows would be too much. He's protecting us from this to bring us through that. And knowing that, remembering that, walking in that is a shield in front of us that none of the fiery darts of the evil one can can break through or penetrate. And then when it's time to attack, we hide the Word of God in our hearts and we strike with it like it's a sword. Able to divide bone and marrow, spirit and soul. It is the Word of God that is our weapon to remind ourselves. When our helmet gets weak, remember what's held in your hand. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. When you are doubting your salvation and that helmet seems to be cracking on you, fight harder with the sword to remember and remind yourself That Jesus died on a cross for you. That you might be equipped for the battle. And then of course what I love that Jason has taught me since my time being here and reminds me of. Even recently is there in verse 18. Don't miss out 
on verse 18. Because there are pieces of armor every which way, but there are straps that hold all of that armor in place. The straps that a soldier would have worn, a Roman soldier, to keep the breastplate and the belt and everything where it goes is prayer. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Be ready. Be alert with all perseverance. Making supplication, making prayers for all of the saints.